This is Ye Old Dragons Library, the storytelling podcast. Each week, you'll hear a portion of a work in progress and have a chance to interact with the author and other readers on the author's blog, posing questions, answering questions from the author, and hopefully having a lot of fun. Are you ready? Let's begin. Episode 20 Previously, the woodcarver, Eric, sent Ash to his sister's tavern, where she found shelter and what could have been new friends, except the local magistrate wanted the spirit ring, insisting he had to examine anything magical that came into the town. In the process of trying to remove the ring, he broke Ash's fingers, and his own hidden magic charms were destroyed in the backlash of the magic tug-of-war. Unfortunately, the herb mage added, as she settled Ash's hands on hers, palm to palm, then spread her other hand over the top, I infuse my healing power into my ointments and tonics at the time I make them. Otherwise, I promise you, I would have withdrawn every bit of power before I gave the jar to that bootlicker assistant of his. She sniffed for emphasis. Imagine, the gall of that man, condemning people all these years for illicit use of magic, for claiming to have more power than they did, and holding himself up as the standard of what true magic use and authority should be. And all this time, he's been a big, fat, arrogant fraud. Every bit of his magic came from charms, magic that other people loaned to him for coin. Nothing earned. She smiled and stroked Ash's bound hand. You've done this village an enormous service, my lass. Her smile faded. Too bad you need to flee before the other bootlickers decide to punish you for their fall from power. How? Ash caught her breath when she realized that sometime during Griselda's chattering and sympathetic stroking, the burning, stabbing sensation in her hand had faded. Eric and his friends are good men. They'll find a way. She winked and leaned closer, as if about to tell a secret. But she didn't lower her voice. They're rather clever, getting around the pompous, self-righteous types like the magistrate. Former magistrate, she added with another sniff. Once the territorial overlord hears about this, he'll send someone to investigate. Wouldn't doubt that destroying all those charms, well, they'd set off some magical reverberations, or at least enough discord to make the man himself come running to investigate. Don't you worry your head. We've got some good, skilled smugglers here in this town. They'll get you out of the town and the territory in broad daylight, and no one the wiser. With a sigh, she took her hand off Ashes then with the other hand lowered her wrapped hand to the table. Now, how does that feel? Fine, I think. There is some swelling, the ring told her, but it is diminishing. Please pass on my compliments to the lady healer. I'm still somewhat sore myself from that assault, and it's hard to be audible right now. The defensive magic didn't come from me, but it did draw on some of my strength to defend us. Some of those charms were of a very nasty type. It's slanderous to call it dark magic. More accurate to call it lightless magic. Well, that's interesting, Griselda said, nodding slowly once Ash passed on the ring's words. She made a little bow toward Ash's hand. Thank you for that helpful bit of knowledge, Sir Ring. I hope you'll be up to full strength soon to help our lass here with her escape. Athiosius blessed her, I think 
when she was partnered with you for what sounds like a highly unfair quest. Ash agreed. Strongly enough, she thought she might cry. She didn't, though. If she hadn't cried at the breaking of her fingers and the huge bruise down her side and the back of her head from hitting the table, she couldn't let herself get teary over feeling overwhelming gratitude. By the time Eric and his smuggler friends packed up Ash to get her out of town, just before dawn the next day, no response had come yet from the territorial overlord. She was impressed to hear that not only was he in charge of magical use, but government officials and military patrols to keep the roads safe. This was a very progressive and civilized kingdom. She wished she didn't have to leave. Eric's friend took her down a tunnel under the tavern and to the riverbank, half an hour of walking away. On the way, they told her that Magistrate Blosey had a tendency to get louder the more pain he was in. Half the village had heard his vows. He would cut the ring off Ash's finger and have her handed over to one of the traveling gangs of chained criminals who worked off their debt to society with hard labor. The messier and more brutal, the better. He also bragged about powerful friends who, according to him, shared his enlightened mindset about who had a right to use magic and keep magical items, and who didn't. The big blowhard has made trouble for quite a few powerful people in the surrounding ten villages, Nysia, the tunnel guide, informed her. She chuckled, wouldn't doubt he's on the outs with all of them very soon. The territorial overlord has been looking for such a list of names for years. Enlightened mindset? Fuh. She spat, then chuckled again and patted Ash's shoulder. Wouldn't doubt that a number of folk are going to be a little braver standing up against that blowhard now that all his magical talent he boasted about has been uncovered and scorched right off him. They came to the end of the tunnel then and spent a good hour crouched behind the overhanging ivy and broken branches and other growth that hid the mouth of the tunnel from sight. The time passed too swiftly for Ash because Fang hadn't caught up with her. The ring assured her that he had recovered his strength enough to call to the bunny. The problem was that she had no idea where they were in relation to the place in the forest where she had left Fang to hunt and hide and sleep away the daylight. Then there was the problem of what Nysia would do when Fang jumped down into the tunnel to join them. The smuggler woman made no effort to hide the knives tucked into the top of one boot, the long knife hanging at her waist, and two stilettos that served as pins for her thick knot of hair at the base of her neck. She was ready for trouble, even if she really wasn't ready for the kind of fight Fang could give her. Ash was too grateful for the help that had surged up around her to want any harm to come to anyone. Success, the ring reported. The first glimmers of dawn on the water sparkled through the curtain of grasses and ivy. Meaning, Ash thought, Fang is following the boat that's coming our way. You need to be ready to catch him and cover him, because the sun will be halfway up from the horizon before our friends get here. Ash felt a little queasy at the thought of trying to explain a smoking bunny to the armed smugglers who were helping her. True, they were clearly finding much satisfaction in frustrating the vows of revenge from Magistrate Blosey, but just how reasonable would they be? How willing would they be to keep helping her if they found out Fang was partially a vampire? Did it matter that he was only partially a vampire? She could see how some people wouldn't care about the degrees of transformation. An oversized bunny with enormous teeth was a visible threat, and these people had knives and swords and who knew what other kinds of weapons. 
She felt like she could breathe freely again when the sound of oars dipping in the water and thudding against the sides of the boat reached her. Nysia pushed aside the screen across the tunnel mouth and grinned at her before leading the way down the steep side of the riverbank to the water's edge. Ash strained her ears for the sounds of Fang, thudding and bouncing among the trees. She couldn't decide if that was her heart racing or the manic bunny catching up with the smugglers. Quickly, Eric leaped out of the prow of the boat. It had a single mast and a small sail that hung limp, waiting for a breeze. The other two smugglers in the team grinned and nodded to Ash, while Eric pulled the longboat up along the muddy, pebbly shallows. The front portion of the boat had a makeshift deck, probably creating a hiding place for whatever was being smuggled. The back portion was crowded with barrels, in among four sets of benches, wide enough for two men on each, with long oars strapped to the sides. Ash tried to imagine how fast such a boat could go, with sixteen strong, determined, perhaps frightened men rowing for their lives and freedom when the wind and the sail failed them, and the river patrols chasing them, or perhaps soldiers, racing along the riverbank, trying to beat them to the next shallows or the next bridge to try to catch and stop them. There was a time when she would have read about some adventure like this and cheered for the military, enforcing the laws. She had never thought she would be on the other side of the law. Then again, she hadn't really considered how right and wrong changed color and shading when the authorities weren't upright men who obeyed the laws themselves. This quest was turning into quite an education for her, in degrees and aspects she had never considered before. Don't worry, Eric said. He grunted, giving the boat a hard shove out of the shallows, and splashed a few steps before hauling himself over the side and back into the boat. We'll be long gone before Blosey stops whimpering and starts following through on his threats. He has too high an opinion of himself and expects his friends to come running to check on him. Nysia snorted. The only news going about right now is how all those illegal charms of his turned on him and how he tried to steal a spirit ring from a defenseless little boy, who wasn't quite so defenseless, I guess. Little boy? Ash finally turned her gaze off the riverbank. Is that what they're saying about me? Maybe she should have taken Griselda and Elian's advice and accepted a dress to wear for a few days to further muddle the trail. Then the other words registered. Illegal charms? Is magic against the law in this kingdom? No, but there has been enough trouble with magic cheats. It's regulated. One of Eric's friends called down from his position by the mast. He gave Eric a thumbs up and set about pulling up on the ropes to raise the sail. A bit of breeze tugged at Ash's hair. She sat far enough down in the boat. The high sides hid her from sight as well as most of the breeze. Regulated. Somehow that word just didn't feel like it belonged paired up with magic. How? Why? she asked. Just like with Blosey. People use charms to give themselves magic, then claim they're born with those gifts. To get power over people. To take authority they don't have a right to. He wouldn't be in half as much trouble as he's going to be with the territorial overlord if he just wore those charms openly, Eric said. He settled down on the bench facing Ash. Whoever sold him those charms didn't register them with the authorities. How do I know, he added, when Ash opened her mouth to ask. Because they would have known Blosey had them and was using them to supposedly carry out his duties. He would have gotten in trouble for hiding them. He's going to get away with it, you know, Nysia said unless they bring in a very strong, skilled charmer or someone wizard rank or higher to decipher what those charms were supposed to do, 
Blosey can always claim that he was influenced. He can claim he was tricked into taking the charms, and he was forced to lie about them and hide them, and probably claim he was changed by the charms to become the arrogant, greedy wretch he's been the last few years. Is that possible? Ash said. Charms changed him? It's possible. And it's happened far too often, which is why charms and other such things are regulated, so innocent people aren't duped, made into puppets for outside magical powers. Eric frowned, turning quickly to look to the riverbank. I see it, the man at the mast said. See what? Nysia said. Something's been following us since we passed Sky Trail Bridge. He held onto the mast with one hand and leaned out over the water, as if that could give him a clearer view of what lurked in the bushes and underbrush along the bank. Thang, the ring said. At the same moment, Ash said, I'm sorry. Eric and Nysia turned to frown at her. I have a... a friend. He has to stay in hiding when I go into villages for supplies. Is it all right if he joins us? She looked back to the man at the tiller. Can we get a little closer to the bank so he can jump in? The man at the tiller looked to Eric. Before he could open his mouth, probably to ask the questions she saw in his face, Fang let out a chortling cry and bounced up high. Ash cringed, seeing the smoke pluming off his fur, especially the tips of his ears. She snatched up a wad of rags sitting on the bottom of the boat near her feet and stumbled down to the front of the boat, where Fang was coming in for a loud, hard thud of a landing. He made a cracking sort of cry that she had learned to interpret as pain. Ash flung herself down on him, wrapping herself and the rags around the smoking bunny. What is that? Eric stood over Ash now, staring down at the wriggling bundle of fur and rags and wisps of smoke. His name is Fang, and he's a bunny. Bunnies are magical. Did you know that? That's what makes them different from rabbits and hares and... Anyway... His magic protected him, but not enough, when he protected me from a vampire and got bitten, so he... Ash sat back and gestured at Fang, who had stopped smoking, fortunately, and huddled in the partial shade of the open hatch under the deck. Well, he doesn't burn in daylight, but he smokes. She took a deep breath. And if you want to put us off the boat right now, I don't blame you. But he's my friend and we protect each other. Kill me now! The man who had been at the mast was kneeling on the upper level, looking down at them. He grinned. Now I've seen everything. Ash dared to hope that grin meant no one would try to kill Fang. At least, as long as he didn't try to snack on someone. In exchange for the tolerance of the four smugglers, and being allowed to stay on the longboat until dusk, Ash told them her real story. Abbreviated, and leaving out names and places. She had a duty to protect her friends, after all. Nysia laughed. Eric shook his head quite a few times, and his smile faltered even more often. The other two men, Bear and Jonas, muttered and swore, clapped once or twice, and generally seemed caught between amusement and uneasy wonder. Ash wondered if there was something wrong with her, that she didn't think her adventures so far were that amazing or shocking or even frightening. Maybe it was that magic in her blood, protecting her from too much shock? Or maybe magic bred a kind of insanity? It made sense, she reflected later, when she really thought about it. Enchanters and sorcerers had a tendency to turn cruel or reclusive or unbalanced under the weight of all that learning and all that magic power flowing in their blood. Or at least, it was a large number according to all those books of Cecil's she had managed to read. Or maybe that was further proof that her education was seriously lacking in the essential vital aspects. 
When she left the boat at dusk, Eric covered her in a cloak that smelled of tar and fish and led her along the docks, wherever they had stopped, and her smuggler friends didn't use names. This was a major center of commerce. Just looking around in the fading daylight, with torches and lanterns being lit in a spreading starburst, Ash saw they had come to a place where several rivers met. She wondered if they were anywhere near the sea, and some of those rivers led to the coast, to major ports. Bear pushed a cart with several barrels on it, one of which held Fang. They walked past the torchlight, into darkness, following a path that went from wood planks to gravel, cut through a small grove of trees, then turned from gravel back to wooden planks, and another pool of torchlight at another section of docks. Definitely, she was close to the sea. These were ships, not boats in front of her. The masts held multiple sails, and the docks extended out into the water for the length of the ships. Eric led her to a smaller ship, with only two sails on its single mast. He banged on the hull of the ship and climbed up onto the top deck without waiting for a response. He gestured for Ash and Bear to wait. Before she could get nervous or think of what questions to ask without getting into trouble, Eric returned with the captain of the ship. As a favor to Eric, Captain Ailes would take Ash down the coast until the next evening, to leave her and her barrel at Willemsport, which was far enough down the coast to have crossed over the borders of two countries. No questions would be asked. He handed her another wooden disc, with the oak carved into one side and several symbols she couldn't interpret carved into the other. I can't guarantee anything, but if anyone can help you move on in safety, rumors say you need Philby the hostler. After that, I think the debt we owe you is repaid, Eric said. He held out his hand to shake ashes. You've taught me not to accept what my eyes show me. I'll have quite a few free drinks off this story for months to come. Bear chuckled. He clapped Ash on the shoulder, then held out his hand. When she thought he would shake her hand as well, he slipped several copper coins into her palm. She stumbled through her thanks, and Fang thumped three times on the barrel where he hid. The two men laughed, clearly taking the thumps as his way of saying thanks. Captain Ailes just raised an eyebrow, and turned and went back to whatever he was doing when Eric found him. "'Be careful, and if you can, send us word how your quest turned out,' Eric said. He tipped a salute off his forelock and turned to leave. "'I can write you a letter if you want,' Ash said. "'You can read and write as well?' He grinned. "'If I stay here long enough.' You'll tell me enough amazing things. I'll be convinced the last two days were an amazing dream and nothing more. He and Bear were gone, into the shadows beyond the edge of the torchlight, before Ash realized that he hadn't answered her. He can't read, Captain Ailes said. He stood on the upper deck, looking down at Ash and the barrel, tucked into a nook on the forward deck, out of the way of everyone and everything. His sister can, though, if you really did mean to write a letter. I did. Well... I'm starting to think I promised too hastily when Eric told me to leave you entirely alone. Then he nodded to her and turned away. Ash lifted the top off the barrel to let Fang out. She settled down in the shadowy nook, and he sighed and curled up next to her. Before the moon had reached zenith in the sky, the ship pulled away from the docks. Ash watched the torchlight that seemed to slide past the ship as it traveled down the coast. The wind was strong and the ship picked up speed as it pulled further away from shore. It rocked very little, so she could convince herself it sat still in the water and everything else around them moved. 
When the first streaks of dawn light spilled across the water toward them, Ash struggled to lay the barrel down on its side. It was large enough for her and Fang to curl up inside, safe from the sunlight and view of everyone else on the ship. She worked on filling in her most recent adventures in her journal, trying to say as much as possible in as few words and as little space as possible. The ring told her when they crossed one border, safe from any vengeful actions from Blosey. Then, six hours later, they crossed another border. That started a conversation about the geography of this coastline, the many small kingdoms that all fought to keep possession of access to the ocean, and the commerce that would come to their ports. Since I've crossed more borders than required, do you think that will satisfy the Justiciar? Ash carried on the conversation in her head, because it wouldn't do for the sailors to think they had a mad passenger. We won't know until the magic binding us together lets go, the ring responded, after only a few seconds of hesitation. Do you think we can convince him that the smuggler tunnel counts as a cavern? We can try. Certainly you've gone farther afield than he could have expected. What do we do if he alters the conditions of the magic? she had to ask. I've thought about that. The simplest course of action is to find someone with magic stronger than Camwell used and ask them to shut down the spell. That's simple? Ash nearly laughed aloud. Well, simpler than finding a magical court willing to hear our plea and accept proof that he violated the terms of the spell and the quest and rewrote them for his own personal curiosity and satisfaction. How do we find a magical court, when it will be hard enough to find an enchanter or a sorcerer or anyone else strong enough to revoke the Justiciar's spell? We will figure it out. Say your prayers, and believe that even if most kings and nobles are unfair, and life itself is unfair, Athiosius is fair and will help you. Ash thought about that, and then she thought about everything she knew about finding magic users and asking for help. Just how strong did someone have to be to overrule Justiciar Camwell's spell, if he did indeed rewrite the terms of the quest as she and the ring both feared? She thought until she fell asleep, and only woke when a member of the crew brought her bread and cheese and water for the noon meal. At Willemsport, Ash listened to the ring's advice and offered her help to the captain. She supposed she was strong enough, but rather than risk some accident that would reveal she was a girl, she didn't offer to do any of the heavy lifting, especially as it was a hot day and the air was humid, and she could imagine what she would look like after hours of getting drenched with sweat. The bands she used to bind her budding figure weren't as reliable as she would have liked. Since the captain had showed some interest when she admitted she could read and write, she offered to help him with tallying the goods leaving the ship to ensure they were correctly labeled for their destinations. Then she helped check the manifests for the goods coming onto the ship, bound for the next port. Again, the captain joked, or at least she hoped he was joking, that he had agreed too hastily to let her off at Willemsport. He thanked her for her work, which saved him some time, and freed the men who could cipher a little to handle barrels and raising cargo nuts and other physical work. Eric used one of the many favors I owe him, getting you on board and here, he said. You didn't have to do anything, but I'm grateful. You have a stronger sense of honor than many I've seen lately. He held out his hand. Ash thought it was just a shake, but when she clasped his hand, she found a coin pressed into her palm. Captain, it's less than the wages you would have earned today if you were crew, he said with a wink. After your passage is taken out, of course. I'll tell Eric I still owe him that favor. And if you want to sign on, 
He shrugged. Thank you, she said, but I'm... Always tell the truth whenever possible. This is a good time to tell the three-quarters truthful story, the ring urged her. With maybe just a little embroidery. Just in case. I think he's a little too eager to take on another crew who can cipher. He might just realize you're a girl. That put a whole new cast on things. Ash felt a little queasy, just for a few moments. Sir, to be fair to you, you should know I'm under a curse of sorts. Gius, the ring supplied. A Gius, an order to fulfill certain conditions before, she shrugged, before disaster falls on me. I have to keep moving. There's no guarantee that staying on a ship would keep me safe from those who would come after me if I don't fulfill the conditions. A Gius, is that so? The captain rubbed at his bearded chin, studying her with half-lidded eyes. The ring bit at her finger. Ash yelped, nearly dropping the coin. She stared at her hand, the reddish glow pulsing from the ring. The captain stared as well. Leave Ash alone, the ring said, his voice metallic and somehow hot. Don't interfere with his path or his pace. This is the only warning I will give. And that's the end of episode 20. Believe it or not, there's only one more episode after this. In the next book, I'm still working on the title, so maybe you listeners can help me figure out the title. The working title right now is The Beastly Beauty and the Disenchanted Prince, because we will add another point of view character in the next story. Those of you who have read some of the anthologies put out by Yield Dragon Books have met Belladonna, otherwise known as Na. She is the daughter of Ash. So in the next book, we will follow more adventures of Ash as she makes her way, willingly and unwillingly and sometimes chased and sometimes avoiding trouble, on her path to the Enchanted Castle. What do you think of the title, The Beastly Beauty and the Disenchanted Prince? Of course, in the next story, you have to find out why Ash is sometimes known as The Beastly Beauty. If you like the title or you've got a better idea, please chime in on the blog. For those who might be new or you haven't written down the address before, it's Michelle Levine, L-E-V-I-G-N-E dot blogspot dot com. Let me know what you think of the title. Give me other ideas for the title. And please do come back next week for episode 21, the final episode in Liar's Quest. <laughs>